Hello, Fly Nation, and welcome to the Freestyle Your Life podcast, the one and only podcast inspiring you to live your authentic greatness while teaching you that less is more. I'm your host, Anesta Kallet-Zimmermann. I'm on my mission to help you to be the hero you were meant to be and to live what you came for in life and in business. Remember, the quest we came here for is to discover our true nature, explore our potential and share it by living. Okay, great. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome, Brenda. So, uh, dear listeners in Fly Nation, today I'm so excited that Brenda Adelman is with me and she is a forgiveness and storytelling expert. She's a former actor and she will teach us especially on the topic of forgiveness because if, if not you, I don't know who could uh, <laughs> learn that. We will uh, hear from her story uh, shortly. And uh, she has proven a show success system and she is teaching storytelling and um, sort of the, the whole message is um, using our gifts and 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 what do we what do we have in life what do we have experienced in life um to, to make it to yeah to leave it in the past to let it go right not to to stick on what happened a long time ago so many people still hold on to that right so they're still in anxiety and fear of uh uh Uh, event or situation that happened a long time ago but they don't want to let go and uh, even don't often don't know how to do that right so to forgive something like in your case you will uh, you will mention how everything uh, went out there and how you got to uh, uh, yeah repurpose it and and your today's mission right so um, we can learn how to let go of things and how to forgive things that are just unforgivable, right? So we can learn that today. And um, I'm so uh, thrilled and happy to have you here on the Fly Podcast, Brenda. And this is your stage. And please uh, share your very own story. I was I couldn't believe it when I heard it in for it in all the preparation for this interview, but you tell us. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. I will point out I am a, I'm still an actress. I still perform all over the world with my one-woman show. Uh, and it's interesting because I, I definitely believe we have to let go of the past, and yet I teach storytelling, and I teach people to pull from their past, express mm -hmm. their past, and that's what I do on stage. So it's really interesting Because what I say is, you know, we're, especially because I teach the, 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 um, the art of performing your story. And for that, you actually have to be hooked into the emotion, but like a witness to it versus being in it. Yes. And then when you step off the stage, it's gone and you're happy. So I will start with my story and what, what put me on this path. I, I, I kind of joke, I have an ironic sense of humor, but I have this joke that it's like, No one gets called to teach about forgiveness because they've had an easy, happy life filled with, you know, cotton candy and butterflies. <laughs> right. 
everybody can relate. So, yeah. Right. So it's like I, I, I'm so passionate about weaving my forgiveness work into everything that I do because forgiving my father for something that many people would say is unforgivable was the turning point in my life for finding my freedom again, finding joy again, finding love again, being able to be intimate again, being able to express myself. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let me say the story like this. I grew up in Brooklyn with a Jewish wannabe Italian father who taught me how to drive a Cadillac at six and how to shoot a gun at 10. A bohemian artist mom who took me traveling with her all over the world and read Shakespeare to me from the time I was three years old as a bedtime story. Big characters, big laughs, big love. And then in 1995, my father, who I adored, who I was really daddy's little girl, shot and killed my mother, who was my best friend, and then quickly thereafter moved in with and then married my aunt, my mother's sister. When I was in my darkest, deepest depression and feeling so isolated, like nobody else in the world had gone through what I did, the fact that my mother read Shakespeare to me from the time I was a little girl and I studied Shakespeare in New York City and London was not lost on me because I realized that even though I was alone, a character in history had lived through something like I did. Shakespeare's Hamlet's father is killed by his uncle and his uncle marries his mother. But Hamlet is about death, destruction, and revenge. And my one-woman show, my teaching, my forgiveness process, everything is about the power of forgiveness. Right. So this is uh, just from hearing, it's unbelievable and it's incredible. And uh, uh, yes. I don't have no words for that. So, so I forget um, sometimes that people have no words, but what, what I find happened. So, so when this happened, like I said, I moved into a deep, dark depression. Mm -hmm. I was filled with, I love my father. I hate my father. I miss my mother. I want to turn the clock back. I was grief stricken, losing my entire family in that night for all intents and purposes and losing my identity because I was like the emotional caretaker in the family, kind of like the husband to my mother or the wife to my father, always being there for them and not for me. And this yeah. was such a huge wake up call. Interesting enough though, is it put me to sleep. It put me into severe depression. And, um, and then the thought of ever sharing my story on stage at that point was like, that's never going to happen. Cause I was so filled with shame. It was, Before I did any kind of work on myself, any of the spiritual work that I've done, I have a master's degree in spiritual psychology, which changed my life and is the cornerstone of the forgiveness work that I teach. Um, and, but then I just had this inner guidance that was like, you have to write your story, Brenda, not for anyone else, but journal. Like I had to get it out of my head. I think a lot mm -hmm. of depression, anger, mm -hmm. stuff like that, it gets stuck because we're trying not to deal with it. And as right. soon as I writing what happened for me is I would read it and be like oh my god I have so much compassion for myself it was like yes. I was able to get all that clutter in my head out and be like if this happened to someone else I would just be like showering that person with love and so I started mm -hmm. doing that with myself and because I was an actress it was again a full circle moment because I was in a top acting class in LA hiding behind the characters I would play there was a storytelling mm -hmm. exercise and I just again had this inner knowing that I had to put just a piece of my story on stage I wrote it into a scene 
thinking I am going to get like booed off the stage. Like people are going to judge me. Like they had no idea what was going on in my life. Like being seen was so scary. And yet this inner guidance was like, you have to do this. So I'm always like, follow your inner guidance. And so I did the scene and not only did I get a standing ovation from the hundred people in class, but I also had several people come up to me and share things they had been ashamed of until that moment. Like all of a sudden, even though my story was so big and I thought no one would be able to relate to it, it was the humanity within it that these other students, even though their, their circumstances were so different that they related to. And, and then there was a snowball effect of a director wanting to direct me, a, a producer wanted to produce me, but I still hadn't done the inner work. So I, you know, I'm a good actress. I'd get on stage, people would laugh, people would cry, I expanded into a full-length show. And, um, and then I would go home and be miserable. And so I took the time off, got that master's degree in spiritual psychology, decided to take my dad to court for wrongful death. So I teach forgiveness with setting healthy boundaries, but I took him from a place of self-love versus I'm punishing him. And, and so that's where, that's where it all started from. And now I've done the show all over the world, not Germany yet, but I have done it in Vienna, but, uh, you know, in four countries and, and nine or 10 states so far for over 12,000 people. And, you know, I've spoken um, for many audiences like domestic for domestic violence coalitions, survivors, mm -hmm. women's conferences, the U.S. military, youth at risk. You know, there's a, it's just um, I'm really passionate about teaching the message, my three step forgiveness process, but also the way that in an entertaining way that I can share the story. I find it opens people's hearts in, in an even different way. Yes, totally. And that's, uh, that's the reason why I love to uh, bring experts here, which don't need a certificate, but they, I want them to share their life stories and what they learned out of it, right? And how they struggled, but then found whatever method and way to move through it, right? And, and, to repurpose and redefine themselves. So that's just my greatest respect for how you did that. So um, what age have you been at when this happened? In, in I was 30. I was 30. And how, how did you... I was an adult, but I was extremely close with my parents. I had only just, I mean, I wasn't living with them, but I had only just moved out of New York where I was, where I was brought up. So I had moved to Los Angeles about nine months before. Mm -hmm. So I was still completely codependent with them. And, you know, it's only in hindsight that I'm like, you know what, in some ways I'm glad I was because I got uh, and outside of the toxic, negative, like controlling part of it, there was a lot of love. And knowing that I would never spend time with my parents again after 30 was like, I'm, I'm glad I had the time with them. Mm. But there was nothing like you could foresee or whatever. Oh, well... <laughs> Well, not exactly. I, I definitely couldn't foresee that he would kill her, shoot her in the head and kill her, I guess, except this is where people, you know, your listeners and everything can look at where are you in denial? You know, it might not be with murder, but it might be, you know, your cheating spouse, like you're just in denial. Yes, but well, course. guess what? There are signs. I, I am like a firm believer that there are always signs, but we don't yes. want to see it or we don't want to. Right. 
make the decision that would cause things to play out differently, right? Because I've been coaching a long time, so I hear all, all kinds of things. So my father, and I, I, I present this when I talk about it and, and in the show, you know, he held a gun to my mother's head a couple of times in their marriage. One time that I really remember is when they got, they got separated about three times. And the second time, is it the second time? Uh, somewhere around there <laughs> when I was a teenager, Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it was my early 20s, they got separated and she claimed that he put a gun to her head and she got a restraining order. And then when they got back together, I was like, my mom must have been lying, not my dad, because why would she take him back if he put a gun yeah. to her head? Not understanding yeah. the ramifications of dom- domestic violence situations and, you know, ah, okay. it's kind of pushed yeah. down. That said, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. There was a lot of, you know, macho talk about guns. I grew up shooting a gun. Like, there, it's one thing to, like, think. Like, you know what I'm saying? So there were signs, but I couldn't believe that it would happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. But, but when I found out she had died, the first thing that went into my head before we even knew the circumstances was, and he said it was an accident, was, oh, my God, he shot her. You know, mm-hmm. and then as the little little girl inside me was like, oh, wait, that can't be. He's my dad. Mm-hmm. So this is this is unbelievable. So please, uh, Brenda, share with us how you how you could overcome this shocking situation there. And uh, and and yeah, <laughs> It's easy to say, well, yeah, you, you need to forgive, right? We hear that right. every now right. and then. Yeah, I almost feel like that's but, a disservice to But people. it's easier said than done, of course, right? So, right, because you have to it, know how to forgive. And, and in, in some or the other way, everybody of us struggles with forgiving uh, somebody. And uh, um, everybody on the... <laughs> on the Fly Nation tribe here can relate because they have not that crazy story, but something, right? Where we did act or whatever, um, do, um, and we feel sorry uh, afterwards. So to forgive is, is easier said than done. So please share your process um, for us to learn it. Right. Well, first of all, I think that people don't forgive, and this is based on my own experience and then all the clients I've worked with over the years, they don't forgive because they think it's letting off the other person off the hook. They don't forgive because they feel like they, they don't realize that they have an opportunity to set a healthy boundary. People don't mm-hmm. understand that the two go together. So when I say forgive, this is my story. I say, I also took my dad to court for wrongful death. Forgiving him and and end as an act of self-honor for myself. And so I think people don't forgive because there's that misconception that you forget. I don't even say forget. Maybe you forget the, like, I guess my goal would be to forget the emotional impact it had on my body, but not what it did. Like, I'm not going to make the same decisions. You know, hopefully we don't make the same, let me not call it, we don't make the same decisions and trust people who are not trustworthy. It's like, I forgave my dad for me. He never took responsibility. I don't even advocate that if someone is in your life and they've done something to hurt you, betray you, 
and have never taken responsibility and they're not remorseful, why would you have them in your life again? And I've heard every reason under, you know, and every reason, well, it's my elderly parents and, you know, I just have to be there. And it may sound hardline, but why would you have to be there? Like work on that, like, or be there, but not out of guilt, out of, well, I'm going to resolve something. I'm going to be in the loving for myself and not expect the person to change. Like there's so many unconscious bonds we have between Mm -hmm. people, but I will say the biggest thing that helped me and why I have it in my first, I have a three-step forgiveness process. The re in my Kindle, I have a Kindle book with it. Um, What happened for me is I was doing the show a lot, right? Because I come from the acting background. And there was a minister at a unity church in Sedona who knew me. And he said, you know, Brenda, your show opens people's hearts, but then they don't know how to forgive. What was your process? And so I took like six months to look at my process. And what I realized was the pivotal piece that wasn't in place and what people don't teach that I know of was the healthy release of anger. Like that came six years later. And when I was able to do that, that's when the huge opening happened. And so it's right there in the first step. So the first step of my process is moving out of denial and into acceptance of what is. And and I have exercises with each step. But in this step, we so don't want to feel like a victim that we're like, I'm not a victim. I'm going to compartmentalize but we're not dealing with that very real anger and those emotions that are like telling us deal with this. And so if it's not dealt with, it shows up as depression. It shows up as anger released to the wrong people, self hatred, addiction, illness. So in this stage, we actually jump into being the victim like fully instead of running away from it. Like he was so bad. He did this. He did that. How could he have done that to me? Like, completely the victim instead of trying not to be the victim so that then we can move into step two Uh, may i interrupt you for a second just uh, so our listeners can really follow so um we have the misbelief that uh, holding on to the grief and to the anger we um yeah we punish the other one right who right instead of our side uh, made something wrong but most of the time, we don't understand that the, the major one we, we, uh, we really punish is ourselves, right? With holding on to it. Yes. And um, you just mentioned something that uh, this is the thing. There is a step, like right there in step one, where that anger against the other person is, is useful, if you don't know how to set a healthy boundary. And in my, in my Kindle book, I talk about the difference between a hard boundary and a healthy boundary because that first step is, it might even be part of the process that you have to have that hard boundary of like, they're so wrong and I'm not going to take their phone calls. And they're so awful because it, it keeps you with a shield. And that might be necessary in the very beginning, but that shield will turn in on you if you don't loosen the grip it has on you because you're closing your heart to that person. But if you don't do that other inner work, you're also closing your heart to yourself. Right. Yeah. So sorry yes. for interrupting. Just no, that's, that's fine. That was sure, really... Because it's so essential and important. Yeah. And then self-forgiveness is a huge part of it too. Like you would think like, well, why? And and listeners, you know, they can listen, they can look at how this applies to them. Like for my father, it was like, 
when it came forward for me that I need to forgive myself, it was like, what? You know, it's like, I have to forgive him. And it's like, I learned at a very deep level, like, well, there was something inside me that was unconscious, that was so mad at myself for trusting him and loving him. How could I not have seen this? So I did a lot of inner child's work mm -hmm. and work of like, well, I forgive myself for judging myself as stupid because I believed him. I forgive, you know, like that kind right. of conscious self-love was really important on top of it. Mm -hmm. So that's, so, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I have so much more and I want to like take a breath because everyone's probably like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to ask uh, if uh, what, what happened? Did he go to jail or what, what happened there? Yeah, he went to jail for one and a half to five years on a plea bargain for involuntary manslaughter because his gun, the murder weapon, the gun I learned to shoot on when I was a little girl disappeared. There were eight hours before the police were called. He had a lawyer in place. And without the murder weapon, um, my brother had agreed to the plea bargain because there was a possibility he wouldn't serve any time. So he actually got out of prison in two and a half years. That's what happens with domestic violence. Unbelievable. Uh-huh. Okay. And your aunt, how... I mean, it was her sister, right? It was not just... Uh, Yeah. So over the years, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 a woman from the from the street, right? <laughs> so over the years, um, well, let's see. What should I say about my aunt? Just uh, try to explore the character. Oh yeah. Over the years, it's what's happened when I've done my show is half the audience is so pissed at my father and half is more pissed at my aunt. Mm -hmm. It all depends on what we've lived through. Have we been betrayed yes. maybe by another woman or, or something like that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, just in reflecting back and with speaking with other family members, what we think is that my aunt and my father were probably having an affair maybe years before. They both were sex addicts. They both had a lack of conscience. My dad had a lot of money. My aunt was impoverished at the time. And so, you know, if, if you can't experience empathy, you know, you're going to make different choices in your life. And my forgiveness around my aunt took a very, very, very long time. Because also one of the things I teach is that I teach it and yet I wasn't, doing it with her, I often feel like we teach what we need to learn, is that, you know, I, I did come to a complete sense of healing with my father completely. But with my aunt, because I didn't love her like I love my dad, I compartmentalized, which I teach my students, my clients not to do. And, um, and then I started doing over the years here and there, things would come up and I would do inner work around it. And one of a really good exercise I have is um, to get have some compassion because I really believe anywhere we hold our heart closed, it, it actually is like a boomerang effect and it closes back yeah. to us is, you know, picturing them, the person who's done this thing that you think is unforgivable as a little child, imagine what their circumstances were like. Like I happen to know that, you know, my aunt along with my mother had a pretty damn horrible childhood, you know, like what kind of circumstances create someone who doesn't have empathy and who, um, you know, can just, you know, do what she did. And then on the other level, because I've now done so much work with her uh, on her as well, she's, she's passed is it's like that 
righteousness doesn't serve me at all. It's like mm-hmm. everybody is doing their own thing. And so, and step two of my process is giving up the need to be right, right? And letting yes. go of all those judgments. Yes. Because I'm, all, I'm also holding those judgments within myself. I can't control someone else worrying about something or thinking it's so wrong. It's not going to change the situation. Yeah, totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so step three. So step one and two are pretty big ones uh, that take a while. Not everybody gets to step three, but my, mm-hmm. my goal would be that everyone does. And I, I actually hope to do a, maybe a forgiveness challenge soon. Uh, it, it is really, I used to say feeling grateful, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting to a place of um, just complete acceptance. Like there is nothing right or wrong, but now I've really changed a little bit and it's more like finding the lesson and being of service with that lesson. I think that is more like step three. It's still being grateful, but it's not ever being grateful for what happened. It's being grateful for our resilience, grateful for the fact that we can make an impact on the world because of what we've gone through. We can share in such a way that is clear not taking on other people's stuff, not preaching, but in a way that we know we have a ripple effect and we help other people. So there's a lot of service in that as well. Kind of getting out of, like a way to get to that place would be getting out of our own head, like, you know, volunteering at a homeless shelter, volunteering with, uh, you know, animals, doing something where you're not just thinking about yourself and your story. And then from that place of expansiveness, you know, just being grateful for how strong you are. Mm hmm to survive it and to to yeah. finally not uh, uh, sort of live with it, but uh, to, to, yeah, to flourish like from, from it like you did, right? Yeah, and it's interesting, like I said, because I, I speak about my story all the time, but it yeah. doesn't identify me. It actually is a source of creativity for me, literally, because I get to travel and inhabit the characters of my show and use all my acting. And, you know, it's like, it serves me versus pulling me down and it serves the audience because I'm not in it emotionally. So when I teach storytelling, I teach crafting professionally, but also healing yourself at the same time. So you don't have to do what I did years ago, which was like, make people laugh, make people cry and then want to go home and kill myself. It's like, no, actually heal yourself. Use your storytelling to heal, continue to heal yourself and spread that goodness into the world. Right. So you, by, by, by sharing your message, you, you inspire others and you help others to heal, right? And you're healing yourself at the same time. Yep. Right. And uh, so, um, so you having the, the, um, you're the actress there and there are the, the, the personas in the, in, Yeah, so I play my father. I play like 12 characters and I can't even say enough about it because I've worked with so many clients now too. Like as an actress, you can never play yourself as a villain. So when I jump into my father's character, like, so it's one thing to write about something, but it's another thing to act it out because when I play the character of my father, I can't play him as this villainous person who just killed my mother. You know, like that's in it. I don't, I don't sweeten or anything, but I also play him as a full rounded character who had dreams, who didn't have tools, who surely had some mental illness, who, 
you know, grew up how he did and, you know, was trying to make it in the world like everyone else. And one of the choices he made was that, you know, but to do that, to inhabit him, I can't play him as I'm a villain. I have to play him with compassion for himself. And so it ends up, you know, it ended up not even knowing that it would end up opening my heart to him to see him more fully. Because I think when we demonize people, that's when our heart shuts down. People are not just the one moment. Although I kind of feel like to, um, to make ourselves strong, sometimes we just define people by what they've done. Someone has hurt us, so that's who they are. But again, it's like a boomerang. It's like, yes, yeah. they did that. Don't have them in your life. And is that really all they are? Mm. Not really. Yeah. yeah. We have so many facets, everybody, right? And the bright and the dark sides. So everybody yeah. does have that, right? Yeah. It, it just doesn't have to be uh, to turn out uh, uh, so impulsive and so massively like it did in your case. But we all have brighter and darker sides. That's oh, yeah. for sure. Everybody does, right? <laughs> so what, what I... I think is for me is fascinating that you are the actress for this Hamlet play there, and you are playing everything your on your own in a solo play, right? Yeah. I I consider that as, as very <laughs> difficult. It is. <laughs> It is difficult. Um, That's why it's so amazing. Don't you find that the things in life that are most difficult are the most rewarding? Yeah. You know, I feel like I feel like I was uh, groomed in a good way to do my one-woman show in that my mother took me to Broadway shows from the time I was three years old. I saw so many one-man, one-woman shows. There was one show in particular that I saw on Broadway. Well, there were a few. There was one called True, about Truman Compote. And, um, and there was a show Lynn Redgrave did that is forever in my heart that was called Shakespeare for My Father. It was a one-woman show. It must have been in the late 80s or early 90s when I saw it. And it was so just life transformational for me. And so when I started telling my story in my, act, my top acting class in L.A., It was like the natural next step for me because I already knew how to write dialogue. I already knew how to play different characters. So it was a matter of taking all the acting techniques I had learned from studying in top classes in New York City, London, and Los Angeles and being like, oh, this is a way to express myself. Like, again, I didn't think it was going to be a show. And, um, and it, was a it was natural for me. Like, I imagine someone else, it's natural for them to be an athlete, which is definitely not my thing, or natural for someone to sing. For me, it was actually natural to jump into different characters because I've been playing right. different characters and acting before. This was mm -hmm. just my family. Mm -hmm. So you did what you did in former times, but this was, of course, a, a complete other play because it was your story. Yes, and it's very vulnerable. I mean, what I share with my clients It's a whole different thing. You could have this whole skill set. Like there's a lot of singers I work with as well that mm -hmm. you can hide behind the script or hide behind the songs. Well, there's a whole nother level of depth and freedom and creative expression when you get to tell your story your way, right? So for me, I jump into different characters and I actually have like five soliloquies from Hamlet in the show and the emotions are too much. If I was a singer, I would break into song then. So what's so empowering about the way I teach 
speaking on stage in this creative way or, you know, doing your show for the actors is that they get to focus on their strengths or, you know, um, study and and bring up their strengths in certain areas if they want to get that, that across. But it is hard, definitely hard work. It's, um, like I said, it's like anything. If you want to be the best musician, you got to do those scales all the time. And so there is a lot of work that goes into this. And what I try to do and I attempt, I I do very well is I, I cut down the process. So like for me, it took years and years to get my show to where it is. So I cut down the process because I'm working with the clients on the artistry, I'm working on the healing because I've been a coach for since 2006. Because that was the thing that was missing for me. Like I would be in classes and working with directors, but they didn't understand the emotional block that I was having that would make me want to run away instead of dive into the piece. Yes, yes. But that's also Brenda. What uh, what what makes people. Um, um, yeah, uh, getting empathic to to what they see or what they if they can feel you, right? So uh, I'm a very uh, highly sensitive person and and very empathic. This was my sort of failure, and 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 long time I I try to uh, avoid it, right? Because I I never said no because I was feeling. Uh, what the other one w- will right. say and yeah, really I say no yeah. so I didn't say no but yeah I had to understand that and then I had to come over it by moving through it by right. re- rejecting it of course we, yeah, and the conscious know. awareness of it is the first step like if you yes. understand that yes. then you can be like oh I have to protect myself here I have to keep my energy yeah that yeah. is another I, thing you know on stage because I'm highly empathic too and uh I think I think sometimes, I don't know about your upbringing, but I feel like sometimes when we grow up in these really chaotic households, we just somehow take on all this stuff and it almost like (laughs) creates that, that highly sensitive part of us. And I had to learn a long time ago on stage because I'm holding the energy for everyone who's in the theater and I've performed from a couple of people to 700 people at a time and they're getting activated and there's a lot of stuff in there and I had to learn several years ago and it was only at the with the help of a friend who was in the audience who noticed how much energy was moving in the audience he's like you're not responsible for them you're holding an energy for them and certainly i'm a coach or people can go to therapy or people can write their stories you know there's all different ways to deal with what comes up i believe truly that activating people is my job because if it's not activated it's inside and it's never going to be dealt with but you know i will do processes like protecting myself with a bright white light. I'll do that sometimes with coaching too, so that I feel like I can be a better coach when I'm not taking on other people's stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm still can feel it, but I, I, it's not mine. Right, me too. But of course, we had to find that out to, to be observing ourselves and the process, what is, go, what is going on here, right? Yeah. I had to find out why do I act like I act? And that's just by noticing and observing ourselves. And uh, this is the first uh, step to, to any change, right? I agree. It's that conscious awareness is the first step. If, if not that, uh, yeah, you, you, you just need to become aware of what is going on, right? What is the scene there? And then... Um, to accept what's going on, totally agree with you on that. It, mm-hmm. it is like it, uh, it was like it was, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> you, you, you cannot turn the, the clock back now. 
spot. Oh God, no. And that, you know, I lived in that space for a couple of years. If I could just turn the clock back, if I could. I'm just... sure of that. I'm, yeah, I, I imagine that. I would imagine that happens for most people who've uh, experienced loss so quickly. Yeah. yeah. And that sucks, of course, totally, right? And, and. You know what happened, what happened for me? It was a good three years or so. And I was just like, I, I actually didn't want to live. I, want, I felt like if I died, I could join my mother. That's what the, was going on in my psyche. But I didn't even know I was in so much pain because when we are in pain, right, you, we just talk about it and don't even realize it. So one of the things I teach with my storytellers is not to do that because you're pushing your pain onto other people, even though it feels like you're having a release, especially after not being able to talk about anything. And my friend, we were out to dinner uh, out to, for a late snack after acting class. And he said, and I don't know why it was that moment that made a difference for me, but he said, you know, if you take your own life, you're probably not going to be with your mother. And that was like, oh my God. And that like snapped me out of it. And I realized that I, I loved, and that's a picture of my mother in the back that I use in the show. Mm -hmm. I, fi I was, I was like, about to ask later. <laughs> I was, I can feel it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was like, I want, if anything, I think my mother, who I love so much, would want me to thrive. I need to thrive. And, and that kind of shook me out of the stupor I was in, mm -hmm. which, of course, then creates a much better life if I'm wanting to create and thrive versus go back and change time and not live. Right. I'm so glad uh, that you made it. So, <laughs> so, so how, how is this? Is this a picture? Or? Pretty amazing, right? So that was a painting. Of, uh, that was made in the 70s by an artist friend of my mother's. She sat for it. I, I opened up my one-woman show dressed in that uh, top, and I have a blonde wig, and I start as her. And I uh, am talking, you know, just uh, talking about my life story. Well, part of that first part of the, the show. Yeah. And it came directly from an exercise in that class I was in in LA. It was called a, oh shoot, what was it called? I can't remember what it was, but we, we I, it wasn't that picture at the time, but we were asked to choose a picture that really calls to us and to recreate it and bring it to life. And so, so that's why, like what I teach my clients is everything I've learned and what I implement. But at the time... So I come to life on stage as her, but at the time in class, I remember what I chose. <laughs> it was a really dark picture of a uh, dominatrix who literally had a hood over her head. And that called to me and I recreated the whole outfit on stage. And you have to understand, I like to find myself as a nice person. Like this was like my inner rage that was coming out. Like the teacher was like, who is this on stage? Cause she couldn't mm -hmm. see me. But it represented at the time my unexpressed anger and rage. And so it ended up being incorporated actually into the first version of my show. I don't have it anymore because I don't have the part of me anymore, but it was something that I explored. So it was about bringing the character to life and seeing what it has to say and, and uh, engaging with the audience. So yeah. So now she's no longer in there, but my mother is. <laughs> totally amazing. But when, how I, I look from, from this point of view, right? It looks like there's, uh, I, I was guessing it was her, like really uh, 
like she's sitting there. It doesn't you know, look like a, a picture. Energy. Huh? It's really, it's really interesting. I just recently got this painting out of storage. I, I uh, had it in storage for a while and I travel on the road. So I have a jet clay and I took this out and put it on my desk and I swear there's so much energy in it that it I'm like, it's really it. real. It looks yeah. very real. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I had a really close connection with my mother uh, I, I have a lot of clients. You'd think that most of my clients with the forgiveness would be coming to me because of their issues with their dad, but I have just as many that come to me with their issues with them, their mom. But for me, I feel like I am doing as well as I am and found the ability and the courage to love again and stuff like that because my mother loved me so much. There were a lot of issues just like all girls have with their mothers. And I had to look at that because in my experience, when someone dies, you can put them up on a pedestal, right? And I had such mm. deep work to do around my father. But then it was years later that I'm like, you know what? I should do a little bit of work around my mother as well because yeah. we had issues. But, but one thing for sure is she was so completely unconditionally loving with me that I feel mm. like at the core of my being, I know I'm lovable. Whereas there, there are a lot of people I've worked with that even though they haven't had as dramatic a thing happen in their life, mm -hmm. you know, they can struggle with that self love because they yes. didn't get from their, their parents growing up right so there's what? a lot of work to do with self mothering you know mothering ourselves mm -hmm. being the parents ourselves that we didn't have mm -hmm. but I also felt a complete connection with my mother's spirit from the moment she was killed completely and also what I didn't share is that so I had her spirit with me from the moment she died I actually woke up that night, which is weird. And, um, and then several months later, I had a direct experience with God or spirit or whatever it was at the time. I felt like it was my mother, but I feel like it was more like just that all inclusive, benevolent presence that some people might call God. Mm -hmm. Totally amazing, Brenda. So glad and uh, thankful that you shared your amazing, incredible story with us here and uh, what we could learn out of it. And um, yeah, Thanks for breath, me. breathtaking, <laughs> incredible. Um, we are nearly at the end of our time here, Brenda. Um, did, you cover everything you wanted to say or did we uh, is there anything missing <laughs> i will put the show notes of your programs everything in, in the show notes okay. yeah. thank you i mean yeah. so I mean, people can find you yes and i'm very active on facebook and i think yeah. i gave a link for my your story made simple which is a program online program that is about if, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to use your story yeah. uh, in your marketing, that's what it's for, but it's deeply about healing your story too. So it's that program specifically is about healing your story, finding your story, healing it to the very core with some yeah. really, really deep um, exercises and then articulating it in a way that it's professional so that you're clear, your energy is clear and you're powerful in your marketing. Yeah, and it's totally, uh, totally uh, amazing. I just uh, had a clear look myself uh, at, at the program we are just talking about. And uh, 
still have two or three uh, units to to go oh, there. The challenge, you did the challenge, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it's amazing how you how you transformed everything and uh, how you shine yeah. here in your foot. Was it so so glad you did? Thank Wonderful. You. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here and inspiring us, Brenda. Lovely. Thank you. Big hug. Thank you. Thanks for listening in. I hope you got new inspiration to seek help and surrender to love no matter what situation you're in. Hopefully you could take away that transformation is possible. By getting the right support, you can embrace life joyfully and enjoy your life on your own authentic terms. Please rate and review the Freestyle Your Life podcast on freestyle-your-life.com slash podcast if you like today's talk and make sure you qualify for the amazing I Love the Fly podcast giveaway by subscribing and referring three friends to the Freestyle Your Life podcast. All experts and myself are happy to assist and support you. Just reach out to us. Thanks for joining us today and don't forget to tune in next Thursday and listen in to your next inspiration on how to freestyle your life. You'll learn another priceless shortcut on how to break free and restyle your life on your own authentic terms. Becoming authentically you will ease your life and business. Remember Fly Nation, break free and fly. Looking forward to talk to you next Thursday. Bye.